When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 815, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you, who are boosted, thoughtful, helpful, considerate, surviving, uh, good. to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 815. I've never said hello like that. You're in such a good mood. I am peppy. I feel peppy. <laughs> which is weird. Just embrace it. Because it's before 3 p.m. So that's why it's weird. Right. I'm Josh Flanagan. This is my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. I can't complain about I'm like, I, I will go, oh, it's so early, but it'll be like 1130. <laughs> so it, it, people don't really react to it. I've never changed. You've even gotten over it, and I haven't gotten over it. So being in the, in the morning, yes, you've forced yourself to become a morning person. I mean, let's just dive into this. So, like, yes. when I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, my sleeping patterns just didn't really change. It's just like okay. my, I got up at the same time. It just it was three hours earlier, right? Then it just kept that way. Well, the thing that I would do though is that I would continually keep staying up later, right? No, I don't. Do that's that. what I do. The other day, I was in bed reading a book at nine thirty, and it was awesome. Oh my god! Yeah, it was great. Like if if I get tired and it's midnight, I'm like, oh, it's too early. I can't waste this time. <laughs> no, like it's bad. Remember there was an article that said like if you get less than whatever sleep, yep. you're gonna die earlier. Yep. And every night I think I'm gonna die earlier. <laughs> like it's my version of smoking. <laughs> it's, it's bad. Okay, so this is a show about comic books. <laughs> I've been boy every week. But is it one of us, or is it a show about existential dread? Oh no, it's a, it's entirely a metaphor about existential dread okay. at this point. Yeah, like that's just checking. If Ron was still here, it might still be about comic books, <laughs> but with you and I, we're pretty much always talking about existential dread. <laughs> People are like, why do you talk about being old so much? What else is there? Existential dread. Yeah, it's always on <laughs> my mind. Else, what else? What else matters? Thank you, Nietzsche. I don't know enough about Nietzsche to make that uh, phrase, but I liked saying we'll it. We'll keep going. We'll roll with it. I fanboy is a show about comic books <laughs> each week. One of us picks the book they liked the least to stave off death for another five minutes from their stack of comics. We call that the pick of the week. We will talk about that book. We talk about other books that came out. There's a patron pick that you pick if you're a patron, and if you're not, then you just have to sit through it, Sorry. like the rest of this. Yeah. 
I'm not sorry. No. We answer listener mail if we have time. We will have fun. This is your spoiler warning. <laughs> Exercise caution in everything you do because time is short. Right. Is what I'm saying. And you need to get on with it and not read lackluster comics for hours and hours a week. But that's why we're here. Connor, you had the pick. I did have the pick. It was the pick was the scumbag number 12 from Image Comics, Rick Remender, Roland Tashi. I'm sorry, Bashi. Tashi is, is the station on Tatooine. Uh, Roland Bashi. See what I did there? I knew I was going to do something today. Marino, Denisio, and Russ, Russ Wooten. I wrote Tashi all over the place. I better go back and check all of our social media. <laughs> and I, I had a lot of good books this week. I had a lot of books I really enjoyed. Some new things that were exciting. Some things that wrapped up that were fun. But at the end of the day, when I finished my digital stack of books... I can't come back to the scumbag number 12, which is a book we've been enjoying. And this particular issue I thought was terrific, obviously. It was the pick of the week. It's a madcap, high-octane, high-energy takedown of the 1950s in which our main character... Well, the story of this book is the, the scumbag is this horrible guy who has been turned into a secret agent because he got injected with the superpower in the first issue. And in the story so far, this... It sounds dumb to say these things out loud, but this evil organization of right-wing fascists want to bring back the utopia uh, that they imagine their head is the 1950s. So they use this ray to zap the earth back to the 1950s. So here we have the first issue of that and our hero, Ernie Ray Clementine, it's basically an entire issue where he's running, where he's running the whole time, including a very funny nine panel page in which he goes through the entire Korean War. But it's, it just kept getting funnier and funnier <laughs> as he was running faster and faster from people trying to kill him, including Richie Cunningham and the Fonz and the gang from Archie and sort of a Don Draper stand-in. He just kept running and running. And it got funnier and funnier. And then finally, like when he got to the part where he was in, into the war to escape everybody, and then it was nine-panel grid of the entire war, I just was laughing my head off. I thought this was incredibly high-octane and incredibly fun. I really like the choice of he gets into the army office and instead, you're going to think he's going to, you know, hightail it out of there or whatever. And he's like, all right. And he goes through it. And it like it like he he joined it. He he saved his buddies and didn't save others. And like Franklin. All the way through it. No. Yeah. It was pretty good. It was very funny. I read this after you set the pick. So I was curious if there was going to be something else about it yeah. that stood out. And I don't know that it was completely clear. It, I was like, this is really fun and really enjoyable. You know, but the way that you sort of phrase it, and it is one of those books as you go back and you, you look through it and you start to notice even more details as you go into the, the hospital scenes. Yes. Literally everyone is smoking. There's like a kid smoking. <laughs> yeah. like, it, it's really a subtle thing that's going on all over. Yeah, there's the kid smoking. Uh, the doctor, you know, he's got lung problems. The doctor prescribes more cigarettes and then he's going to give him some amphetamines because he's getting a little heavy. You know, then there's the guy, the Don <laughs> Draper stand-in who is horribly hitting on every woman in sight. And the housewife who's putting Valium into her dinner she's cooking and the husband who's suicidal. Like It's not anything new, but it's all the classic takedowns of the 50s in which, you know, in America at least, it was this bright, shiny time post-war. There's prosperity for some, and people of a certain type look back on that as the ideal. And But underneath that, there was darkness. And this is he's playing on that in a comedic way. Do you know what it, it reminds me of, actually? It's, it's a Mad Magazine yes. story. Yeah. It's like 100%. Even the sort of style is... But, you know, ratcheted up, made to full length, done with, I mean, a really, really quality cartooning. Oh, yeah. Very good cartooning. Roland Bosch and um, Remender did that. It was the last days of American Crime graphic novel. I believe that was it. Is that him? I think that was it. They did okay. something together. 
before. I don't remember what it was. That's true. Yeah. I think that's the only reason I know his name yeah. is because of something to do with Remender. Yeah. It was good. It was like this book where you couldn't put down. Often I'll be reading a comic and I'll say, oh, sure, I'll go grab some more water or you know, my phone beeped or something happened. This one I couldn't put down because it was done in such a way in which the story was so propulsive and mm-hmm. entertaining and funny and it kept building and building. I like that this book continually, I don't want to say it reinvents itself, but takes it in different avenues. You know, we had, a, we had a whole sci-fi element earlier. We had the hippies. You know, started off as sort of like a superhero slash super spy, not say parody, but that kind of story. And then it became sort of a geopolitical thing. And then it's going all over the place through the lens of this character. Well, I think it's really interesting that at first the premise was relatively thin. And I think the question was like, well, you know, this is really funny, but how long is it going to be that? And I really, you know, have to give Remender credit for really making this last in a way that doesn't feel like we're just, you know, stretching it out for no reason. You know, each little arc, that was, this is 12. Yeah. So. They're small arcs. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's part of it too. Like I would say, you know, three or four were spent in that sort of first part and then three or four up on the moon and then, you know, coming back. He's done a really good job in maintaining a premise that doesn't seem that rich to begin yeah. with. You know, like the gag of the scumbag is really only going to last so long on its own. And then at the same time, what you're doing is taking this character who is, they stated at the beginning, is the worst person on earth. It's for all intents and purposes, like unsympathetic. And I don't think they've made him sympathetic. And I don't think they've made you like him, but it's made you want to watch him. Yeah. You know, listen. He really cared about Franklin. <laughs> You're not wrong. He 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 served with he served with valor and distinguished. Well, he won the Medal of Honor. Yeah, that's that's a great gag. <laughs> like I don't know what they're saying. Like I don't think he's saying that Ernie's any good. I think maybe he's poking at the military a little bit, but maybe not. I don't know. Listen, but he may have found there. himself in war. I mean, he's he seems to be conscientious soldier. I don't want to keep going back to that page, but that was the page that sort of cemented it for me. It's almost like this was a Mel Brooks movie because he's being chased by this gang of pop culture 50s icons and also his old partner who's chased, who's got Don Draper on a, like a dog leash because he tried to hit on her. And, you know, he runs into, as he runs into the recruiting station, goes to the war, fights the war, wins the Medal of Honor, gets off the plane, really glad to be home, a son of a bitch, turn the page, and they're all waiting for him. You know, like that's, it's like a, like a farcical gag. You know, where like all this time has passed, but the same five people are still waiting to kill him. And so he's got to keep running. And that was what got me was just the pure madcap nature of the story. I thought this was great. Was the recruiting officer Larry Hagman? Let me see. Let me see. Uh... That's definitely Arlie Ermey as the... Uh... Yeah, it's Arlie Ermey. It could be Larry Hagman. I mean, it could be. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, this, this is un, unconsequential. Grinding this show to a halt to ask that question, that's my bad. That's okay. <laughs> I had a lot of great comics this week to read, and there was a couple of really emotional ones and touching stuff, but just the way that Remender made this this comedic tour de force while also poking into the myth of the 50s was terrific. And the Roland Bashi art was great. It really was. It was perfect for yeah. this thing. Like I said, you know, it was full on like the best art Mad Magazine ever had. You know, really beautifully colored too. Yeah, I mean, he he does uh, Henry Winkler and he does Ron Howard and he does Archie and the gang and, you know, it, it all works. It all works. What have we got here? I mean, <laughs> it's... And I love Henry Winkler. None of this is uh, offensive. offensive at all. It's, to you as a fan? No, it's very funny. Yeah. 
That's true. The Scumbag 12, I finished reading it fairly early on, and I thought, that was really great. And then I kept reading more books, and I thought, that these books are great too, but I keep thinking the Scumbag's the best, and I found, you know, that was it. that's where we ended up. But this week, we also had, this is slightly complex, you know, we had more creators announce they were moving over to, not moving to, to Substack, but, but doing books over at Substack. We haven't had that discussion in a while, including Tom King and Elsa Cartier. That's not, that's the, that's the jewelry. Charitier. Charitier. Announced it. A romance comic on Substack, the first issue of which was free. And so I figured, well, might as well check it out. I'm not going to subscribe, but... <laughs> way, to, way to sell it. Well, look, I, we have Substack is its own thing. We've dived into yes. it before. And so this was a Tom King, I guess a miniseries, and it's a, he says it's a, it's a tribute to and a deconstruction of the romance comic. And that's great, because we've talked all the time about how comics used to be not just superheroes, and romance is one of the few comics that they've not tried to do in a modern way. What did you think of this issue? I knew that it was a romance, like a, it was a take on a straight up romance comic, and I spent most of it. You know, the first bit is it's broken up into different chapters, like an old romance comic would have been, mm-hmm. by the way. And the first bit is a straight up, is it fifties, sixties romance yeah. comic? You know, woman has a roommate, she falls in love with the roommate's uh, boyfriend, not quite fiance boyfriend, but who's also her boss, right? You know, and it turns around and they can be married together and, you know, whatever. And I thought, oh, that's really... I mean, like, he just did the genre. Right. And then you switch and there's another romance story and it's the same woman, but she's like, wait, what about my the other guy? You know, and she's confused. No, she's in the 60s and, they, and she's in love with a beatnik musician. Right. They do that three or four times. And each of them is basically, in essence, like an, a formulaic 50s romance comic. And then sort of by the end, you're like, oh, something's up. It's the same woman, you know, small town girl moves to the city story. And then she's a rich connected girl falling in love with a musician. And then it's her in the Old West. And it's all and the then, same and woman. And then there's a weird thing that happens at the end where, you know, she gets shot by something. And, and then we're into one more. The one pager where she's she, in the war. Yeah. yeah. And she just looks in the mirror and goes, ah, fuck. And, and at that point, I thought, okay, now I'm interested. <laughs> like, I wasn't not interested the whole time, but I really, I, you know, I was waiting for to see what Tom created. Right. You knew it wasn't going to be just an homage, because that's not what he does. He lives in a genre and then figures out, you know, a way to do something interesting with it. And I, I think he did. And, and it's totally a cold open. You know, like, we got the, you know, something else is going to happen, whether that holds up really well or not. I mean, he's got a good track record. Yeah. But, you know, by the end, I was like, all right, you did the thing that I would have wanted out of it, I think. It was, and also, the art was fantastic. Oh, my God. The art was so fantastic. I really like this issue a lot, and I was asked why it wasn't the pick, and it's just because I don't know what it is yet, you know? Like, I really enjoyed it, but sure. also, there's a lot of questions. And so, it's like, right. what is it going to be? And also, just in the back of my mind, I can't help but think, and I'm not going to find out the answers. So, you know. Unless they're all going to be free, and I doubt that's the case. So I had to enjoy this for what it was as a single issue. And it's a single issue. It was incredibly fun, beautiful. Elsa Chartier is, much like Darwin Cook, slightly from that school. A little more, I don't want to say delicate, not because she's a woman, because the characters are a little more delicate than Darwin Cook characters. But beautifully cartooned, economy of line, and, and great character work. Matt Hollingsworth yes. with wonderful colors. I actually looked at first and I was like, did he get Dave Stewart to do this? And, and I, that is not to take anything away from Matt Hollingsworth, but it was just perfect. It was perfect coloring. It was beautifully drawn. But I mean, I've seen her art around on covers and online and stuff, but this, I think this might be the first time I've seen her do interior storytelling. It was just and it was, gorgeous. And it was, you know, perfect. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because it's a, a Substack book. I mean, are you going to subscribe to it? 
I've not subscribed to any Substack right. things. You know what it was with me is that I find it would be difficult to fit into my very established workflow. Mm-hmm. Like seriously, I won't. You know that. Like right. I don't remember things that are not sort of part of the regular thing because I've got no mind anymore. I'm going to try. How's that? It's interesting. It's very likely I will forget. Right. Nothing to take away from the book. The book is terrific and the creators are terrific. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's tough. Well, it's also like there's no part of my mind that doesn't think that Substack isn't going to be a thing that's gone, leaving us with a lot of unfinished stuff. Right. There's no doubt that this is not a thing we will be talking about in a year. Or two. Maybe, yeah. Depends on how much funding they have. But You mean uh, in general, not this book, but the whole... No, yeah, no, no. I mean, like, the entire, like, comics from Substack right. thing. In my experience, zero of those things have succeeded. Right. It's been about six months zero. or so since the big announcement with Hickman and Tindy and the Fourth and all this. And I, I don't think there have been regular output. There's been, I think Tinian's been the most regular, and that's not surprising because he's pretty prolific, but there hasn't been a regular, like, you didn't get eight issues worth of a Hickman comic, or six issues worth of a Hickman comic in, in the last six months, or even three issues, or four, you know, so it's hard for me to want to get behind that. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I don't know what I'm going to do. I really did like this book, and there's nothing else like it out there. Right. Yeah, totally. And and it's like, just, why isn't this image or something to be easier? But I mean, I get why. I, that's the whole point. I think the run-up for Pick of the Week was Fantastic Four Life Story number six, the final issue of the Mark Russell, Sean Isaacs, Fantastic Four Life Story book. Sean Isaacs had some art help, this issue from Zeke, Carlos, and Angel and Zueta. This has been really successful, and I think it's extremely Mark russell in that he told a really fun and exciting, not just Fantastic Four story, but I think Marvel story, but he also was able to infuse it with his comments on society. In this case, it's almost like Don't Look Up, in which... This whole thing has been about human race's inability to think beyond the moment. You know, Galactus was to stand in for climate change in a way that's much more successful than I think, you know, his other book, One Star Squadron, which I still don't know what the point of that book is or, or why we're doing it. This was the week that I thought, oh, there's a couple of Mark Russells. Mm-hmm. And I think that the non-satire Mark Russell really showed up for this Fantastic Four book. And it's very good. Yeah. There's It's very little in the way of gags. No, it's funny without being gaggy, which is fine. He does gaggy right. stuff. He does both stuff. The wit is there, but it's super subtle and, and sort of the message is there. But also, it is a really good Fantastic Four story. Yes, very good. It's not a send-up in any way. It is, you know, straight ahead. It's like his Red Sonja work. No, but even that had more jokes. Sure. But it was, that but was also, that was also a straight-up Red Sonja story. Just, it was a little slightly jokier. This is more serious. It's true. He just hadn't, yeah. And if you compare this to the One Star Squadron, which we don't really have on the list, but which, by the way, this week almost became good. That was my thing when I was thinking. I was like, oh, this middle part's good. And then it went back to the other thing. But I thought, oh, those are the two guys. And it'll be really interesting to see Russell, you know, show up with more work like this Fantastic Four story. Well, he's extremely versatile. He could do a straight up book. I would love to see him do a Cap book based on his Cap in this comic. Oh, that was the one complaint I had about the book, was that Sue goes to help, and he's like, ah, I'm not so much into it. And I was like, bullshit, Steve Rogers says that ever. <laughs> I, re- I really took offense to that. Well, the thing like, is, he's, he's like, old. ah, it's for younger people. You know what? I get it, but that's the whole thing about that character. You could say, well, that's isn't that what he did in an Avengers yes. movie? And I was like, maybe, but this is a comic book. And in the comic book world, and this is Elseworlds or whatever yeah. it is. By the way, Elseworlds is the best word anybody's ever come up with for this. So I use it as a blanket yes, title for everything. I know it's a DC thing. You know, but still might be of like, 
in the comic book, I want anybody to tell Captain America, hey, we need help. And he's like, fuck yeah. Right. Like, th- they, he wouldn't hesitate to help people. Period. Even movie one. It would have made more sense did. if he was a slightly more frail. You know, yeah. like when he comes back, yeah, yeah, when, yeah, when yeah. he makes his grand reappearance and he takes out Doctor Doom, he's like super buff and you can't even tell he's supposed to be elderly. If he was drawn to be less so. And I think, you know, the only thing, and you have to you have to let this stuff go when you read these kind of out of continuity books. Oh, sure. Is that, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I mean, is that, I think the super soldier serum would cause him to age slower than everybody else. But I'm not saying he's immortal or like Superman, but I don't know if he'd be exactly the same age as all the other heroes. But maybe he would be. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I thought of that too. And Sue was doing better than him. But then again, he is older, older, but he's frozen for a while. Let's let it go. Anyway, I thought this was great. This takes place in, the, I guess, the 2000s. Started in the 60s, so they're all, yeah, 2016. So they're all elderly at this point. When heroes were together, we're not together because you have got other heroes like Captain Marvel, who is like normal age. So the timeline on this is, you know, is all different. But Reed's a vegetable based on what happened in the last issue. And he lives inside his head and he has a conversation with Johnny. I thought that was all good. And then it came together really nicely. And there was a great, some great hero moments. The cap return, Mr. Fantastic saving the day with his weird creepy head, which is the super Mark Wesley part, I think, other than the commentary. Yeah, but on even it. that was, I didn't, I wasn't thinking of it as humor. Like I can see it that yeah. way, but you know. No, not humor, just, just, just like shit. strange. Yeah, but just old sci-fi strange, yeah. like in a good way. And that was, the last page was incredibly touching. And you want to talk about existential dread, this is sort of the opposite of that, you know, mm-hmm. about time, what time means and how time destroys, but also defines us and so it was great we've talked about almost every issue of this series which has been terrific and these life story books they've only done two but they've both been really good yeah i think this was stronger yes than the other i mean if you get the family dynamics right in a fantastic four story it's always going to be compelling yeah they shouldn't overdo this oh, this was great this series well i mean they're going to do one at a time and each one takes six months i know but they were, they've been special so far ships at Arsky's spider-man was very good this was even better you know, yeah, but this is comics. I know. I know. They're going to find a thing and they're going to, it's good. Like, don't get your hopes up. I know. <laughs> Fantastic Four, Reckoning War, Alpha. Marvel's really, really bad at titles. Yeah, they all are. Number one. But they, Marvel does like these weird things where they add, like, you can't, why can't it just be Reckoning War the first issue? Why does it have to be this weird alpha thing? I think there's some reason for that that is business based that is annoying. Right. That's my guess. So this is the next big Fantastic Four story. It feels more like an event. It feels like the prelude to an event, which, it, you know, what is an event? What isn't an event anymore? It doesn't make any sense. Carlos Pacheco, who we're seeing a lot more now since we did that Avengers Forever review. Yeah, getting the work done. Carlos Magno and Rafael Fonteras are the artists. I felt like I was on the edge of understanding this, but also I really enjoyed it. But also on the edge of understanding it. There's a lot in here. Why isn't it in the Fantastic Four book? That's what I mean. I think this is leading into the Fantastic Four book. I don't know why this needed to be this weird alpha issue. Right. Like, why couldn't it just be the first issue? I don't know. Or make it an event, because literally all the heroes are in it. Yeah. I think they don't think they can hang an event on the Fantastic Four. Oh, I'm sure. I'm having a difficult time remembering what this was, because we were just talking about the different Fantastic Four. So I'm flipping through it, refreshing myself. The next issue of the story is in Fantastic Four. So yeah, this is some weird special, which I don't know why we needed it. Is this the least offensive version of Nick Fury showing up in his (laughs) post-Unseen version? I mean, what are the... What are you going to do? He looks like the fucking Watcher. He's got no hair. At least he sounds... At least you could, like, you could see him. Yeah, at least he sounds like Nick Fury. Like, before, it was just like, yeah, this thing in the hood, the Spectre, mm-hmm. this is Nick Fury. And don't, no, it isn't. But so here it was like, at least it is Nick Fury to a certain extent. I don't understand... I like Watcher stuff, mm-hmm. but I feel like they're constantly changing the rules. So I don't feel like I know when I get to watch. Like, some of the characters in Worlds have rules. Yeah. And you go, oh, I know what those are. I'm going to work with them. The Watcher is one of those things that constantly changes, which is one of the things I think 
now that I'm saying it out loud, I think it's one of the things I don't like about X-Men is that I have no idea what my footing is at any point in X-Men. Like, you have to have a doctorate, mm-hmm. I think. So I was a little lost in this, but also kind of expect that in a Fantastic Four. Well, the Watchers watch, extent. and they don't get involved, right? That's the rules. Yeah, but that rule's always broken. There's exceptions, and there's, oh, there's, well, this one time well, this, we had to say something. Watu is, uh, he's a bad boy. He breaks the rules a little bit. He, he bends them. Right. But here, it's like, they're, it's like, oh, no, we have to convene the Council of Watchers because we have to get involved like we did the, in the first war. So like, I guess this is like the first time in millennia they're going to actually physically get involved. But, oh, no, they all get killed. You want to know a character I don't know anything about? Yeah. It's Jack of Hearts. Well, he returned in She-Hulk, I know. in the She-Hulk issue that was pick of the week. So this is skipping ahead a little bit where he's fully back. The, the other thing is, is at one point, Spider-Man is there, and it's the Ben Riley costume, but it's clearly written as Peter Parker. So that was confusing. Yes. Yeah. Although they do that in the other book, too, to a certain extent. If he didn't constantly mention that he's not... This was more like he was familiar with the characters. He was talking about it being considered a menace. Like, it was the stuff that you would consider Peter Parker to be saying. But Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. So the bazoom... The bazoom... That can't be right. The Badoom. Bazooms or something else. <laughs> the Bazooms. Help, we're being attacked by the Bazooms. Don Draper's like, I can help with that. <laughs> so the Badoom are attacking Earth and all the heroes gather to fight them. And somebody killed the Watchers. And this is the start of the Reckoning War that's been long prophesied. And, and Slot's been seeding this for a while in his run. Someone is attacking Eternity. So that means the universe is ending. You know, the Silver Surfer's involved. Everybody's involved. Doom. Everyone. So it was... Big and crazy, and like I said, barely holding on my fingernails, but a lot of cool stuff happened. Reed Richards gets infused with the cosmic knowledge of everything, so now he's got glowy, curvy eyes, and he knows everything, and that's not going to be good. <laughs> Nothing that happens to Reed Richards is ever good. That's a rule. <laughs> right. That's, that's a good rule. It is. It's brilliant. The smartest guy in the world will always fuck up, which, by the way, is part of another set of rules that is true to this day that Connor and I are not going to talk about. <laughs> so, you're right. So, <laughs> I like this issue. I didn't love it, but I liked it quite a bit. I'm looking forward to the, to the story continuing through Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'm fine with that. I know it's probably leading into it, but I'm like, I just, I just want them to fix Johnny Storm because I'm sick of the thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sick of how hot he is and, and how... <laughs> Too sexy for you. Now we're at the point where they're ignoring it or mentioning it, depending on what they need in the scene. Well, I, you know my I mean? feeling like, is, you know, again, since Slot's been seeding this whole story for a while, is that this is the point of it. You know, a giant... Yes, that's what I mean, right. but we've got to wait around with it until... A giant war is coming, fine. and so there's got to be a reason for, for Johnny to be cosmic supernova Johnny. It's got to be this story. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. You can go to patreon.com slash ifanboy because you're thinking, I need more of this, and I need to make sure it doesn't go anywhere. Which, you know, other people would be like, that? What you're listening to? You need to support that? But, you know, you do. That's what I'm saying. So uh, that's where you would go to help support the show, all the stuff that we do. You unlock different kinds of shows. There are a lot of shows. We were trying to schedule February, and I was like, yeah, maybe we have too many fucking shows. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, we haven't hit the next stretch goal yet. Well, you know, I'm <laughs> slow your. I want to tell them to slow the roll, but also not. It's difficult. It's a great community, though. That's really the thing that's always been the constant through the whole thing uh, as we get into the Discord groups and, and what I assume is going on. Could, the Facebook group at this point could just be, you know, anarchy. It may have turned into a, a whole queue. <laughs> A Q community. I don't know. Or yeah, just it's just uh, everything's on fire. People are running around. You're <laughs> <laughs> being burned in effigy. Like there's all kinds of things that are going to be yep. happening there. We don't know. That's the thing. But if you're in that community, you're probably really invested in it. So those are things that exist if you're patrons. You can go to ifmboy.threadless.com. There are 12 designs to be put on t-shirts and other items. And the newest design is the gosh. Good old superheroes, which good luck explaining that to people in your real life. <laughs> 
but that's kind of that's the kind of stuff we do. Most of our t-shirts are because we are fans of being subtle and not explaining the joke, which puts the onus on you to be like, that's no, Tom Hanks's head. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the no. Well, the thing about Electro is it's number one, but also number ten, depending on which way your scale goes. The point is, there are items. Uh, that you can you can get all those shirts. I just say you know what it's just better if you don't ask. Yeah, oh totally, yeah. But they're good items. I can tell you right now, it is not a cash grab thing. We just think it's really fun yeah. and fun. Oh, somebody somebody actually bought GDAT merch this week, and I was like, oh, awesome, because oh. <laughs> no one's bought GDAT merch in a while. I love my GDAT shirt. I love it. I got it on the green. It's fantastic. I love that shirt. It's I that might be my favorite design <laughs> because it is so subtle. But if you know what it is, it is clearly that thing. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah. Hey, let's congratulate ourselves a little yeah, more. Sure. Go to ifanboy.com slash support. Uh, you'll find a PayPal link if you don't want to deal with any of that stuff. Or ifanboy.com slash Amazon where you'll find a link to buy the books that we do on Booksplode. You'll always find an Amazon link for the music and for the pick of the week. And just a general way to get over there. That's our affiliate account. So that's helpful to us. And you don't have to do anything when you buy stuff, which is what we do now because stores are terrifying existential we have partnered with bookshop.org to help local bookstores and you will find those links where they're appropriate there as well that helps you support for book buying especially you know the independent shops yeah. uh, who, who really appreciate the business at this time mm-hmm. i have associated with one of my favorite independent bookstores so when i buy books excellent, they get my excellent. my monies the my problem is i don't need books because connor sends me <laughs> more books than i'll ever have time to read i'm very excited for you to read the one here. i just sent you i want to know if it's good or not yeah oh no i'm very excited about it too i'm currently like past the three-quarter mark of like eight books <laughs> and i'm on i'm constantly like oh I'll switch over to this one and i can't, I can't finish which is not me i used to tear through books i love i love them mm-hmm. i go through audiobooks because those don't get distracted but whatever i still like to read that's my point is that like a brag is that like well i'm a big reader well are you let's talk about monkey yes <laughs> i mean yes depending on your definition of that and historically well, i just mean you've got so many books that you're just you haven't finished it was a dig at you let's move on Monkey Prince number one. I you forgot to son put the creative. I forgot to put the creative team in the script. I don't know why. Monkey Prince number one, the new limited series from Jean Luen Yang, art by Bernard Chang, colors Sebastian Chang, and letters by Janice Chung. This is from DC Comics, and this is tough. We love Jean Luen Yang here. Big big Jean mm-hmm. Luen Yang fans. And I'm looking at the cover of this book, and you know it says ages 13 plus. DCComics.com. I feel like this book is meant for like 13. Mm-hmm. YA is. You know, well, I mean, is what it is. It's not bad. It's just, Yang, Yang comes from that Yang world. was a teacher, yeah, and uh, like he literally yes. spends time around kids, and he has kids, and I think that he excels in this area as well. I actually really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I think that you are on the fence more about it than fence. me, but I didn't really know what to expect, and I didn't think that it would fit into a Batman Gotham world. There are choices in here that I thought were really interesting. I mean, it's basically a take on uh, your parents are supervillains, but then the other side of it is that he seems to be some sort of uh, Chinese legend god. Mm -hmm. The son, yeah. It's the first sneakerhead superhero. I was going to ask, do you own some Jordan 3s? I do own Jordan 3s. The problem here is that I guess his parents have that sweet supervillain income because that's an expensive little collection he has. But two, he says, my vintage Jordan 3s. And those shoes are not vintage. They did not make those in the 80s. They're he's a lot of. He's like 13, so anything made after. I did consider that. Those, so those could be from like the early 2000s, yeah. but those are not a retro build. So yeah, Either so way. this kid has trauma. I'm glad he took them off. They took he took them off before they pushed him into the pool, which I, I was really appreciative well, of. They stole. I would have been very upset. 
I know, but like just the story managed to not have them pushed into the right. pool. So this kid starts off, he's young, and his mom and dad are put into bed. His dad is Asian, his mom is white, and he hears a ruckus in the house, and he goes out, and he finds Batman beating up his parents. And so now he's got PTSD from that, certain noises or, or water, because it was raining, so there was water in the carpet. So when he stands in water, he has PTSD. So that was interesting, like the trauma of waking up in the middle of the night seeing Batman beating up your parents. And the perspective of it shifts. Yeah. So like you're like, oh my God, Batman's being terrifying because we don't really know where this lives mm-hmm. in the Batman universe. I don't know which Batman this is or whatever. You know, but Batman realizes that there's a kid in the house and he's pissed off and he sort of jumps out the wind and go, goes away. But either way, it's going to fuck up the kid. I thought it melded very nicely with the Batman world. Like I was like, oh, this makes sense. And then they have to go back to Gotham. And I was like, why would they do that? And I was like, villains always go back and do the wrong thing. And then like you see the parents being subservient to the Penguin. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting, and yeah, I, I actually I, I dug it, and, and the sort of the weird thing about the the smoke from the Burp. the janitor guy who was a Chinese pig god, yeah. and uh, how it worked. I don't know. I, I think it's a melding of stuff that I find really interesting, but also it's just it has a like I liked this better than I liked the Chinese Superman. Interesting. I think so. Batman shows up at the end, yeah. and he uh, throws a batarang at him and cuts his head off. But the head's still talking. I didn't dislike it at all. I mean, the thing is this. like, I didn't dislike I, I don't know what to expect out of yeah. this because it, it shifted so many times that I was like, I don't know what this is, but in a way that was exciting and not a way that was confusing. Yeah, I, I didn't dislike it. I just finished it. I was like, well, okay. Of all of Gene Lun Yang's recent work, this is probably my least favorite. I'll see where this goes. It's only a limited series. I'll read the whole thing because I trust him. So that's just where I was. I didn't hate it. I was just confused. You it. left the credits off of this book. But then you wrote in all of the credits for the other book, which is technically in the short section. I think what happened was I I did those and then I got tired and I stopped. Why do that? I shortened it because we didn't need it. Well, let's not get to that book yet. It's the short section. New Masters number one. Did you read New Masters number one from Image Comics? I started to. Okay. Shobo Choker and Shock Choker. Did it get better? Or Coker are two African brothers who won a comic making grant. I don't remember the name of the program, but they won a grant to make this book. And sort of a sci-fi Afro... I thought Knox got that grant. No, he doesn't get all the grants. Okay. Afrofuturistic. Afrofuturism. Yeah. The concept of this book is that in the future, these aliens crashed into Earth and in doing so destroyed the traditional series of influence of cities of power like New York, Paris, London are all destroyed, leaving Africa and Southeast Asia as sort of the power base of the, of the planet. And so the various nations of Africa, cities of Africa, with the technology from the aliens, grew up into these gleaming cities. So that's sort of the basis of the story. And here we sort of follow a, I'm going to say Ray-esque character, because I've been watching a lot of The Force Awakens lately. So the Ray-esque scavenger girl is our way into the story. And she's going around trying to get this special ore, obsidium, that landed with the, sort of like a vibranium, that crashed with the aliens. And so they, that's sort of the most valuable ore on the planet. And it was a lot. It moved very quickly, but I liked the way it looked quite a bit. I thought the art was nice. It was an interesting world and perspective that we don't normally get. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it enough to keep on reading it. I read it near the end of the thing, and I started, and I just, it, like, I was a little ways into it, and I just thought, this isn't grabbing me, so I didn't finish it. It wasn't even that it was bad. I just didn't become interested enough. The weird thing was it just sort of ended. It didn't, like, end. <laughs> there was no, like, you know, cliffhanger or button or even the thing that says to be continued. Mm-hmm. Just sort of, it just I turned the page, and there was the next issue on. And I was like, wait, what? It's over? Did you turn your iPad around and look at the back of it? <laughs> what the? <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I thought the art was true. The brothers are both have worked in video games. Nice. One brother, the writer is you know, written for video games, and the other brother is, is a 
you know, artists for video games. So they have uh, that background. I thought it was interesting. I'll, I'll definitely cool. read the second issue. I didn't love it, but I thought it was interesting. Giger or Geiger? Geiger, Geiger counter. I like Geiger. Giger's, Geiger, yeah. Whereas H.R. Giger is a different thing. Yeah. Geiger, 80-page giant number one. Didn't expect this coming. And also sort of I got to the end of the comics and I was like, oh, damn it, it's an 80-page comic. <laughs> but I didn't notice it. <laughs> Is my no, it moved point. very quickly. Yeah, no, I, I I I really enjoyed it. I didn't really understand that this was going to be an expansive world of several books, mm-hmm. and I don't really know what that means or how it's going to go. But I do know that when we read the first issue, it was like, oh, it's about this radioactive dude in the desert, and then they introduced all these other weird ass characters in Vegas that seem to have nothing to do with the other. Yeah. So the first story in this is who is Redcoat, and it's this character who's been alive since the Revolutionary War because. Washington was magic or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a very Garth Ennis-like character. He's sort of a vagabond who kills people with art by Brian Hitch. Great Brian Hitch. Yeah, really great. Best Brian Hitch I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I was really interested in that. Even when it switched away from the Revolutionary War into the present, I was okay with that. Or yeah, so he still dresses like, almost like a red coat. He's a he's sort of a merc for yeah. hire in the in the present day post-apocalyptic world that this book takes place in. Yeah, so this is going to be a new either series or mini-series that comes out of it. And then the rest of it, a couple of things that set up this world a little better that are written by Johns. And then there's some other sort of spin-off stories that are about the different casinos that are the in Different Vegas. kingdoms. And, and, and the, yeah. It was all laid out really well and clear. So I don't know, the design of the book was good enough that like there's a map in the middle that shows you all the casinos. And then you sort of go into them and they each have a different theme. And so each of the stories had a different genre that they were in. There's a great, it's the Karloff is the horror book, mm-hmm. basically. Kelly Jones. It's written by Sterling Gates, a name I have not seen in a long time, with art by She's Kelly Jones. He's been writing Jones TV for the last few years, Sterling Gates. Good. We had a Tomasi Schneerberg story. Yeah, Schneerberg. Haven't seen him in forever. Yeah. I was really excited about that. And they were good stories. Like, they were good short stories, which is something I just have, have come to appreciate so much, you know, the more we've been reading comics, the longer. It's funny, because this book came out the same, it's good. the same week as Noctera. Similar... Came out around the same time, post-apocalyptic, yes. written by big names at DC, and I think this one's much more successful than Nocteras. If you th- think about it, Johns is really good at reducing, mm-hmm. whereas Scott Snyder is really good at expanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that's like the difference between the two of them. And, and in this way, you actually have Johns expanding his world, but reducing it enough down so that it is understandable, whereas you know Snyder is always, in a way, sort of writing... He he's almost stopping himself from writing a novel, right? You know, like oh yeah, keep this in comic book form, keep it, but but it's always like spilling out in a thousand directions because that's the way that his imagination works. And you know, Johns was never a, a novel writer; he was always a comic book writer or at least a, you know screenwriter. You know, mm. and so his thing is to reduce down, and he's so good at finding the essence of the things and then moving along. So I, I think this is interesting. I like these Geiger books. I think it would be funny if these other books just never came out and there was there were just ads in the book. I would love that. Actually, I, I pitched a book like that once, <laughs> specifically exactly that. It was like a book with a bunch of different genres in it, and it was like each one was the first issue of a thing, and then those never happened. There's a Red Coat one that's Junkyard Joe about a robot soldier in, in Vietnam by Johns and Gary Frank, who are also in the main books. I don't know how they're going to do two books. Gary Frank can barely do one book. Anyway, whatever happens, I've been really enjoying it. Every time Geiger comes out, it's always interesting to me. I always enjoy it. If you told me the premise for this book, mm-hmm. like you gave me, this is the pitch. Is this a book you want to read? I would be like, no, nah, I don't want to read that. Right. You know, so that really is, I think, saying something that have made it relatively successful. And and again, unexpected. Yeah. I was like, I read it and I'm like, I, can, I know it's John's because of the craft of it. But other than that, it's not like, oh, this is typical John's. It isn't, except in the ways that count. So those are the books we're going to talk about. 
the patron pick is the book selected by the patrons over at patreon.com slash ifanboy. They vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week, they voted to add the excellent number one from Marvel Comics, written by Peter Milligan, drawn by Mike Allred, colors by Laura Allred, letters by Nate Picos. And I told you the idea, Josh, of just going back to Pick Leak episode 691, cutting and pasting that patron pick review, dropping it into the show, because that was when Giant Size Ecstatics number one was the patron pick. I went back and listened to that review. Wow. And that book came out in 2019. And mm-hmm. it was, at the end of that issue, it says, to be continued next year in the excellent number one. And here we are four years later. I know this, I'm, a lot of things have happened in those four years. But, uh, it was in the dark times before the, <laughs> right. before the variants. So at the time, you liked it, but... I did? You enjoyed the issue, but this particular team of people working together has never really done much for you. No. You're not a Mike Allred fan. And then no. I was very enthusiastic about the book and looking forward to the excellent. And now four years later, I'm like, uh, am I? I don't know. So like you said, like I remember when Ecstatic came out, which was apparently a really long time ago, which is, again, existential dread. Mm-hmm. And it was a big deal, and everybody liked it, critically, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I still don't get it. I had forgotten about the other book that you mentioned however many, however long ago. When this came out, I said, okay, well... They're clearly going back to this well, and maybe I, as an older, more mature reader with a different perspective than I used to have, will find something in it that I didn't. And I didn't. <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. I don't know what's supposed to be good about it. It's got, like, a retro kind of thing, but it's just it doesn't resonate with me, and I can't figure out what it is I'm supposed to like because I don't like any of the characters, and I can't tell what I'm supposed to think about well, it. Well, to me, the most bizarre thing with this issue is... Like I said, the previous issue came out four years ago, and there's no hand-holding here. No. Like, hey, we introduced you all these new characters. It's not like this book has, like, Colossus and Nightcrawler and Cyclops in it, so you know, like, culturally who they are and what they stand for and their relationships. These are all new characters. These aren't even the Ecstatics. The Ecstatics all died. These are new characters that were introduced in the last issue four years ago, one issue of. I don't know anything or remember anything about them. They give you, like, a little, like, you know, comment box about each one, but that's not enough. If you're relying on the one comic that came out four years ago to be the basis of this book, you've got to do more, you know, recapping. You just have to. I know it's not fun, but you have to, because otherwise I don't know anything about these characters or care about them. I think that's my biggest problem with the book. There were characters, like they all died or something. Like there were characters who looked like the characters from before, but they weren't. So there was the, I'm sorry to be reductive, but this is the character's reductive. There's the angry black man who's the son of the angry black man who I was like, oh, that's not the same guy. And so then I had to like rack my brain to try to remember anything I knew about it. And there's the dead girl and I don't know if she's, somebody else is the daughter of the person. Mm -hmm. And then there's Mr. Sense. I, I just couldn't get a foothold. It was all really slippery. And I wasn't really aware that, the one guy, they've said it a bunch of times, but I was like, oh, this character's supposed to be German, and I guess he's a bad guy, but they're trying to pretend that they're the good guys. I just never got my footing, yeah. and I don't think leaning on a retro style helped with that. The original Ecstatics books came out in the early 2000s. It was a take on reality TV culture within the comic book world. because that was Right, that was- and that was the other thing. This, which I don't like in general, as the most part, it's worked sometimes. But then this is then that take, but they add in social media and, and whatever. And I then I just thought, I'm an old man who doesn't care about this. And this is being written by even older men. Right. That's, so, that's where I think it's not as successful it. because, you know, 20 years ago, it was a very trenchant look at 
superheroes mm-hmm. through the lens of reality TV culture, which was blowing up at the time. Now you've got, I don't know how old Peter Milligan is, but older than we are. I don't know that he has a handle on social media culture the same way he did on reality TV culture. Or that he's going to teach us anything about it that we don't know. You know what I mean? Like when you're shining a light on something like that, you want to, I would think that you would want to reflect on it in some way that you wouldn't know, not just back up something that you already think, mm-hmm. I guess. And I don't know that that, that happened at all. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That I just, I, I don't want to keep just harping on it because I, and, and I'd be curious. I, I wouldn't be surprised if everyone's like, that was great. It's tough. I really was a huge Ecstatics fan and I really, uh, apparently, listening to the old review, really enjoyed the other one, the Giant Size Ecstatics, number one. But mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy reading this because, again, I had no foothold to any of these characters or know anything about them or what. I mean, after four years, you kind of have to start over. Yes. You kind of do. You just can't continue from a random issue from four years ago. Yeah, it'd be one thing if there was like 10 or 12 issues that they were building off of, which I guess they were. But that's a, it is asking a lot of readers. It certainly isn't going to make anybody like, I should start this. You know, it's weird. I didn't hate it. I just didn't have the same enjoyment level I've had for previous books from this creative team doing this world. I didn't hate it because I didn't understand it well enough to tell you what it was doing well or badly. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, that is a criticism in its own. But like, I, I wasn't like, this is awful. I just didn't know what it was, which is a way of being awful. And, you know, it's anathema to comic books, but maybe it's just time to let the ecstatics go. I mean, it was very much a book of its time and place. It was a a book about the early 2000s, and now that we're in the early 2020s, it just may not be a book that makes sense anymore. Maybe do something new with this creative team, you know? Yeah, that's probably correct. I I would be really interested in that to see them do another thing. Peter Milligan... He's a guy who has taken me to the highest highs and the lowest lows. Right. Like, he's done stuff that I just thought was wonderful and done other stuff that I just didn't get at all. And I kind of always chalked it up to, like, oh, he's sort of a different generation and he's British and, you know, there's just different things and, and you sort of take it either way. Actually, a lot of British guys like that. Paul Jenkins, while not having a great trekker, has done amazing things. He's done terrible things. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of from the same, not sort of, he's from the exact same school. As Peter Milligan. Yeah. I mean, like, they're probably 2000, same age, 2000 AD guys, you know, did Vertigo, came into mainstream comics, you know. It's just it's just a different take on things, and it sort of either works or doesn't. And Mike Allred, you know, and Laura Allred, I just never got into it. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad at all. I think it's cool. I can see why people like it. I have no problem with it. It just it doesn't do anything for me. So, like, that's not a criticism of them. Mm-hmm. It's just not my thing. But you put those things together with all of that stuff, and I just, I couldn't get any enjoyment out of it. Ratings... On the excellent number one out of five stars. I find this difficult because it's not like I'm going to – I did not I did not like it, but I, I, I couldn't be like one star. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just – two and a quarter stars. Hmm. I'm going to go three, sticking with it. No. I might look at the second issue depending on how heavy the week is when it comes out. But I'm not excited for it. You want to it. like it. Right. Which is a bummer. You want to know what the point of it all was. I love the Ecstatics book, but – Why? It was 25 years ago. I couldn't tell you the specifics. Okay. No, yeah. No, I, I I. mean, like, if there's just something about it that you remember, like, oh, this was really fun. I don't remember. I, I, just... I don't remember. Okay. That's fair. It was 20 That's years ago. That's very fair. I just, I'm trying to get you to help me. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I love All Red. I love his style. I love his aesthetic. I love the weirdness of his art that looks mm-hmm. like it's perfect, but it's just slightly off. I think it makes me uncomfortable. There is a style of comic book art and independent comic art for a little, and it goes back to that sort of that Dan Klaus school. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh, this is really good cartooning, but it makes me uncomfortable to look at. And I think that's like that. And that's not my favorite thing. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go. You can become a patron. Every patron can add a book to the rundown. Every patron gets a vote. It's a democracy over there. 
But if you have Patreon at the $5 or higher level, you get your own superpower live on the show like these gentlemen. Sean Motes can consciously speed up or slow down the processing speed of other people around him. Meaning processing speed. Processing speed being sort of how quickly or slowly one can germinate ideas and, and use your intelligence and work through Brain problems. processing speed. Brain processing, yes. Yeah, so... If he's stuck somewhere, okay, say that, here's, here's a very basic example. Say that you're at an establishment and you pay with cash and you have to watch someone under 30 count out change mm-hmm. and they can't do it. Right. And so you speed them up. So they just go, all right, three quarters of a dime and a penny. Right. Or like, but they have to figure, like if you, if they're like, say something is 276 mm-hmm. and then they use the machine to be like, to figure out it's 24. It's 24 cents. It's not, it's not hard math. You could speed them up. I see. And then I guess there'd be reasons to slow people down, too. Tom Cornell can origami anything. So he can take a piece of paper and make it into a beautiful little sculpture shape. But he could also... Wait, when you say... Go ahead. But he could you also take a... Questions. He could take this iPad and he could fold it into a crane or so a car. The anything, the anything refers to the material, the material or the end product? No, the material. Okay. He could take this computer monitor and fold that into a fun shape. Right, but it wouldn't like he couldn't take the computer monitor and turn it into a horse. But he could turn it into an origami horse, horse, a folded folded horse. That sounds expensive. It's it's destructive. Like you don't want you don't want Tom in the house. No, stop touching things. (laughs) (laughs) Is he like very aware of his power, or is he just unconsciously making origami? Both. It's sort of like he doesn't. He's stressed out. He just starts making origami. Like Edward James almost in Blade Runner. (laughs) Stop it! Stop it! (laughs) Oh, sorry. You know, it's like a stress reliever thing. You know, you're not even thinking about it. Okay. Those are right. my favorite pair of shoes. They're beautiful, beautiful cranes, Tom, but I need to wear them. <laughs> Tom and Sean, thanks for being patrons. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. We're going to be smart and skip the email this week. Really? Yeah. We're, well, okay. you know, let's just do it. Do it's, it. it's somewhat related to patron pick. Jimmy L. writes and says, since you guys started back in the 2000s, do you feel nostalgic for the late 90s, early 2000s era of Marvel with the Knights imprint in the early years of Quesada's uh, editor-in-chief reign? Because for me, I feel that was a golden age for Marvel because writers and artists were allowed to make radically creative runs due to the 96 bankruptcy, motivating creators and editors feeling there was nothing left to lose. Let's do anything. It was a time period before the big crossovers and the MCU influenced the comics. I noticed that his name here is spelled like Jimi Hendrix. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Good. I wonder if that's like an affectation or like the parents did that. That's how we signed the email. That's fine. I'm I'm, I'm not just curious how it comes about. That's all. I have a feeling on this. Do you, would you like to give your answer, Sean? I, mean, I think anyone who's listened to the show <laughs> knows. You know, we look back on that era very fondly. And there's a reason why we started doing iFanboy back then, too, because the comics were really great. Sure. And that's what inspired us. I suspect that while we look back on it with great fondness, it's largely about the feeling of what comics were doing at the time and how exciting and fun it was to get those things. I don't know how well most of the comics themselves hold up. I'm sure that some of them are very good, and I'm sure that others... I suspect that if I was to go back and read Kevin Smith's Daredevil run, I would be a little like, Jesus, get on with it. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was super exciting. So it's like, it's like, do you want to go back to high school? No. Do you want to feel like you think you felt then? Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I mean, I, it, in any era, some of the books you love won't hold up. But I, th- I feel like most sure. of them probably do. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what was exciting about it was that was the thing you just said. Like, there was nothing left to lose to a certain extent, and they just went for it and it felt like 
that Marvel Knights thing, I mean, there, there's been nothing Vertigo kind of like that, but Vertigo, you know, Karen Berger wasn't Jimmy and, and Joe. Right. And, like, they all needed to work in concert with each other. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course I'm nostalgic for that era. I am nostalgic for when things felt new and exciting. And and I'm a little I'm a little nostalgic for me not knowing anything. So I didn't have to worry about why I liked something or didn't. Right. I mean, I was kind of always like this, but you know, it's it's different now. I am very nostalgic for being able to discover new things that connect with me. That happens much less often now. We came out of college and you know, we were reading comics in college. We were going to the comic store every week, yeah. but it felt like there was an explosion of new and exciting things that happened. Right as we left college, had jobs, had a little bit of money. You went to Comic Con for the first time. You came, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. You came back <laughs> from Comic Con with like fifteen titles we needed to look at. You know, and they weren't just all Marvel. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of indie stuff in there too, but there was some DC stuff. But there was a lot of exciting things going on. People got mad at us last week. Was it last week when we talked about who won each era of comics? And we said Marvel won the nineties. And I stand by it. Look, it's yes. all subjective, but Marvel won the beginning of the decade. They dominated with. You know, most of their X-Men stuff, but, you know, Spider-Man, all the guys that left to go do Image in the beginning of the decade. And at the end of the decade, the 98, when they launched Marvel Knights, the imprint that basically took over the entire company and elevated Joe to, from the heads of that imprint to the heads of the company, changed comics. Yes. I'm just looking at the list here, you know, Inhumans and Black Panther and Daredevil and Marvel Boy, Century, these, all these books... Or they just and those names of those people, you know, went on to shape what comics look like yeah. for at least the next decade. Right, their direct antecedents. Yeah, it became an era where they said, you know, we're more concerned with putting interesting people on these books that are maybe not huge sellers and seeing what they can do with them. And then you got Garth Ennis's Punisher, and you got Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee's Inhumans, and you got Kevin Smith and that holds Daredevil up. And, no, it's just like it, it was this exciting time. And again, that's what inspired us to do what we're doing right now is because reading comics was so bonkers and crazy and good. I'll tell you what I miss more than anything, and you you sort of touched on it, is being able to find new stuff that you connect with. And the problem with being our age, I think, you can argue with me, is that new stuff is being done by people much younger than us, and I don't connect to it immediately. In the early 2000s, we were 22 and... The people making comics yeah. were in their late 20s, early 30s. It wasn't that far off from where we were in life. Right, but they grew up in the same world yes. that we did. And the people who are 20 and 25 yep. now did not yep. grow up in the same world that we did. It is radically different, and it's harder to connect to. And then people who are our age are doing stuff, are doing stuff that feels like the stuff that already came out. Right. So it's very nostalgic, which isn't what I'm talking about. And so I find that in comics, that doesn't tend to happen as often. Right. And it's also harder to find for me now because there's so much. There's no such thing as a perfect era of comics. You know, there was stuff no. that didn't work that back then too or stuff you'd go back and read that wouldn't work now. But the level of excitement, the level of, holy shit, what are they doing now? You just can't do it now. Marvel's part of the conglomerate and they have the, they're the creative engine for a multi-billion dollar movie studio. So they can't take the chances they took back then as much as they did. You saw what happened when they put a penis on Batman. <laughs> so... Yeah, of course. We talk about it all the time. I mean, what have the book explodes been? But one giant trip down nostalgia lane. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not to say it was the best era ever, but, you know, it was exciting. And it was also exciting for where we were in our lives. We were we were sure. entering the world, leaving the cocoon of college and, and becoming a, you know, full-on adults. And that's what I'm talking about. So you're nostalgic yeah. for everything that goes along with it. It's, it's all completely subjective. Nothing hurt back then. 
Uh, I didn't have nothing hurt for me. <laughs> I was great. Right. Now I'm sitting here, three things are hurting, and I'm not even moving. Oh, I, I just learned to live with it. Yeah, I just, guess this finger's always going to hurt. Gonna be forever. My shoulder's just going to hurt forever. That's fine. So, yeah, Jimmy, <laughs> good job. <laughs> good email. Yeah. But it ties into ecstatics because that was the era of ecstatics as well. And, all you know, there was lots of crazy things that came out of that era. Mm-hmm. And doing a book from Mike Allred and Peter Milligan that was a satire of reality TV culture was something that Marvel could do back then. They're doing it now, but it's not the same. It was actually, it was done really well in Civil War. Yeah, Civil War, you know, he talks about it here before crossovers. Civil War was super successful and I thought really fun and great crossover. Maybe the last great mm-hmm. crossover. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't knock Civil War at all. That was terrific. No, it just, there was the reality show element that we kind of forget yeah. about was that the, it was the New Mutants were on a reality show and everything was all fun. And then they went and, and died. I can't remember his name. He was just in the, yeah, Captain Marvel, Nitro. And Cannonball. Just was Cannonball? Show, and then he blew up. No, it was Nitro. He was in the Captain Marvel book. Right, no, but the, he blew up oh. Cannonball or whoever. Did he? I thought he just, I thought he just, ex- like Nitro just explodes. And he was near the school in Connecticut and he exploded, killing the kids and the team. Sounds like we need to book explode Civil War. That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea at all. We'll, okay. we'll talk about that after the show. All right, so thanks for Jimmy's writing in. Con- the thing about Civil War was, <laughs> and we'll just... Uh, Contact. No, like, I'm sorry. It, it's a sentence. I'm pushing. Okay. The thing about Civil War is, is that even when it did stuff you didn't like, it was really fun to argue about it, and you were compelled. Yes, and that's why Marvel's been chasing the dragon. But Iron Man wouldn't do that. Yeah. yeah. Contact at iFanboy.com is where you can write in. And also, you can write in for Media Explode if you want to get an email on that show. Please put it in the subject line. We've got some good ones lately, so write those in. I like those. So here's what else we got going on. Last month, we had Spider-Man No Way Home. Our review finally came out after we were able to go see it in theaters. We talked about it. We enjoyed it. We had a good time talking about it. So if you haven't heard that show yet, that's behind the show in the feed. This coming month, this is February. It's a short month. Although, really, it's not. It's like two days shorter. I mean, it's shorter, but it's not like hugely shorter. We have several shows coming to you. We have Josh's Talksplode eventually will come out. There was an illness. There was an illness uh-huh. that prevented the thing that was on the schedule, and, you know, better is... This is uh, why Josh it, doesn't like to talk about it until it's in the can. It's true. I did. But better is better than sooner. That's true. Good is better than sooner. Every time. We have a bookslode that we'll be doing sometime this month. The Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, the new edition, will be, that's the book we'll be talking about, or the 80s classic. There'll also be a media splode show. We'll be reviewing the book of Boba Fett season one. If you were at the Patreon Hangout, that was our more unhinged review this will be more more sedate more professional sure it will. and then <laughs> sure it will if you're a patron the february patron hangout will be on a friday this time friday february 25th because this is a difficult scheduling month so we, we couldn't do it on a saturday like we normally do and have a whole thing this will just be a, a hangout on 25th no pre-hangout show nothing like that just a regular hangout and then some point we'll figure it out at the end of the month beginning of next month is the batman the uh, matt reeves film that's coming out and we don't know how that's going to work. We'll figure it out. I'd like to not wait a whole month and a half like we did for Spider-Man because of the pandemic. Yeah, but it's going to take that long to watch the damn thing. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not that... It's a long movie. It's not that much longer than a lot of the, these movies. I guess it's just that I'm not at all looking forward to it. Now, now that I'm not traveling anywhere, I probably can go see it sooner than Spider-Man, so we'll figure it out, though. Yeah, but have you thought about seeing Moonfall instead? You know, that trailer came on before Spider-Man. I was like, oh, this looks like a fun disaster. Oh, aliens. Who cares? It's, uh, what's his name? Patrick Wilson? No, the director. It's oh, yeah. Independence Roland Day. Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. Come on. But he's. It's, you don't <laughs> like it when there's a bad guy. 
It doesn't matter. That is over. The, we don't know that that's what it is. Aliens. It's in the trailer. I watched the trailer again. Ah, it doesn't matter, though. The Earth gets destroyed. That's the point. I'm sorry. I was I, my, my mind just went crazy. You can find all of our other shows at moonfall.com, <laughs> ifanboy.com, as well as an archive. <laughs> that guy is the biggest Moonfall fan. <laughs> you can find all the archive of doesn't writing from sense. all the people who wrote for us forever. It doesn't matter. Even Geostorm wasn't that bad. <laughs> In that area, to find out what the pick of the what was the one with Jared Butler. That one was that good was too. Uh, Greenland. Yeah, that was great. I, I haven't seen that one. Find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. Follow at iFanboy on Twitter and at iFanboy Comics on Instagram. Connor and I are both on Instagram at uh, CS Kilpatrick and J A Flanagan. Uh, the other day, which has very little to do with comics. The day after tomorrow was on at the same time as Skyscraper, and I was flipping. Oh, that's not. Sh- there's no choice. Flipping back and forth. I mean, one is clearly better than the other, but you know. I was really disappointed by Skyscraper. It's not good. No. It's no San Andreas. It's also, it's no Towering Inferno. The Towering yes. Inferno is a much better film, oh, yeah. which is you know, basically the same movie. <laughs> Do you think that we can sound older? You think that we oh, can absolutely. work on that? Yeah. <laughs> we can just lean into it. Lean into the skin. What kid. kind of serial deal? <laughs> All right. Go to YouTube.com slash iFanboy to see the old video shows that we've uploaded. We're just finishing up the minis as we speak. This past week, we've got Brian Posehn at San Diego Comic-Con in 2008 and Jeff Lemire in 2008. My thing about the Brian Posehn one yeah. is that he's famous, yeah. you know, more than most comics people. Yeah. And I asked, you know, can I, this is early, so 2008, so we haven't been doing the video show for long. I think that we did our pilot in 06. We were getting our stride here. And I asked him if he wanted to talk to me, and he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, like, and he was kind of, and then he goes, oh, those are real questions. That was great. <laughs> and I was so proud of it because he was just used to being asked inane things, and I wanted to talk about comics. Right. And we did, and it was it was a good moment. Yeah. I, I don't that. want to talk about just should be. That's one of my favorite things that has happened is that after stuff, the person goes, oh, that was, that was actually, that was really fun. And I, I was always very proud of that. Jeff Johns did that to me. He's like, oh, I thought that was going to be terrible. We have two more weeks of Comic-Con <laughs> shows coming out. Before Whatever. we get past those. That's how we did it. If you it. like the show, write us a review or leave a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, even better than that, it's word of mouth. Tell your friends. If people ask, hey, what comics podcast you listen to? And this still happens almost every week on social media. People are still discovering comics podcasts, even after all these years. So if if people ask, we always appreciate when people say, I really enjoy iFanboy. The name is dumb, but the show is also dumb, but in a good way. The, the, the name is so dumb. Yeah. And I, I lead with that a lot of times. Yeah. Listen, I know, but here we are. Here we are. And listen, the show also dumb, but sometimes in a fun way, and that's how they do it. Like, do you ever think that the, the monkeys at some point were like, I can't believe that it happened? Because like, they wanted to be a real band, and then they were, they were hamstrung. The monkeys isn't a terrible name, though. Although maybe it's just this emotional association. It's very much of the time, totally. though. And, it's totally yeah, of the time. Like it, it, but it's just always funny anything when I'm hanging out with the Beatles. Anyway, yeah. before we end it, I just wanted, I did want to mention that you know we're going to start losing a lot of people that we grew up who made our comics, and we lost Brian Augustin this past week. He was an editor, most specifically on the Flash, but he's also a writer. He wrote Gotham by Gaslamp, and some, he wrote some other books he that I co-wrote a lot of those. He co-wrote a lot of those. Right, that's what I was going to say. Is he's he's just responsible for anything? Is why I'm such a big Flash fan. In, in the, when I was growing up, reading the not even just before Mark Wade, even it was. Uh, I don't remember the creative team on that, but I, was, I read the book before that. And then he he's the one that hired Mark Wade, and Mark Wade really shot the book into the stratosphere. He co-wrote it for a while with Mark Wade. A big name in my early, you know, like my junior high school child, comic book reading life. So it's a bummer, but this is life. And he affected a lot of people. And so, you know, rest in peace, Brian Augustin. And on that note... Well, we came back to existential dread again. Thanks for listening. I'm Connor. I'm Josh. I look around.